Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. Name is Nick, and I am that Catholic Dude. Here on Anchor FM or whatever other listening device you may be listening to. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This is where we talk about anything having to do with the Catholic faith from scripture, tradition, uh, anything that comes to mind regarding the Catholic faith. Feel free to talk about it here by calling in. Uh, give me a shout out on voicemail or send me a message. Whatever works best for you. Uh, so yeah, indeed, time flies. It's uh, already almost June. It's like 90 degrees out. It actually finally feels like summer, at least where I'm at in the Midwest. Uh, it takes a long time for summer to start sometimes. Um, but it's also kind of cool that it's uh, it's been a, a year now since the centenary of a, a special feast that we celebrated um, you know, last year. Uh, 2017 was the centennial of Our Lady of Fatima. If you're not familiar with this event, this was one of the greatest moments in really in, in not just the Catholicism, but just in history when our lady, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God appeared to three uh, shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. Uh, two of them are now saints, St. Francisco and St. Jacinta Marto and uh, their older cousin, uh, Lucia uh, received uh, visions of our lady and these visions ended in something that was not just privately revealed to these three children, to these saints, but was revealed to the entire world through the miracle of the dancing sun. And I was able to sit down with uh, a good, very good priest uh, that I'm well acquainted with. His name is Father Thomas Loya. He heads the Tabor Life Institute, which is... Um, a nonprofit organization that seeks to teach the truth about the church and about life in general, uh, specifically uh, on the matter of the theology of the body presented by Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, if you want to check out Father Thomas Loya's website, please go to taborlife.org. It's as in Mount Tabor. It's T-A-B-O-R life.org. So it was great to sit down with him, and we were talking a little bit about uh, Our Lady of Fatima and about the special devotion that not only Catholics, but even the Orthodox have to Our Lady under this title. And it was really cool to get an Eastern perspective on all this. And I I found out that um, even Eastern Catholics often recite the Rosary and other Latin devotions. Um, you remember the church, the Catholic church, you know, she breathes with both lungs, those of the East and those of the West. And it's really cool to see how Our Lady of Fatima brings together not only these two um, these two flavors of Catholicism, but also our Orthodox Christian brother and sisters. And it was really cool to hear him talk about the um, the great things that have happened because of Our Lady of Fatima and the wonderful traditions that Eastern Catholics hold. Um, fit in just perfectly with what we as Latin Catholics or Roman Catholics experience. So I'm going to let him do the talking because he is much more eloquent than I. He, he's a great guy. Go back a little bit in my uh, in my previous episodes here on Ask Catholic Dude. You can see a little bit more from Father Loya on some other various subjects. Uh, but I'm going to turn it over to him. Uh, I apologize if the audio is a little wonky on this interview. Uh, my original recorder was not working out too well, so we had to use a substandard one. So I do 
apologize. Um, but yeah, I'm going to turn it over to Father Loya, and I hope you guys enjoy. And as always, if you guys have any anything that's on your mind, any further questions on any topic, feel free to call in, and I'd be happy to discuss things with you on air or answer your questions with you on air, uh, whatever, whatever works. Anchor makes it pretty easy. Um, so yeah, without further ado, here's a little time spent with Father Tom Loya on Our Lady of Fatima. With Our Lady of Fatima's uh, centennial just happening recently, I'm curious to know uh, what kind of special connection Byzantine Catholics in particular have with Our Lady of Fatima, of Fatima with this devotion. Well, a couple things. First of all, it was in the uh, it was at Fatima in the Fatima Chapel there, the Eastern Chapel. They 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 had a Byzantine chapel that they made mm-hmm. to uh, in, in which the Eastern Catholic churches have used, and it was also it was to uh, it was to show a certain uh, deference to you know as Our Lady said the conversion of Russia. Yes, it was also a way to show a deference, respect for the Russian Orthodox spirituality and church faith. You know? mm-hmm. Because it's not like, even though communism invaded, you know, the Russian culture, they had a great spirituality. You know, the Orthodox Church, although not in union with Rome, it still was a great, of course, you know, it's a great spiritual uh, uh, faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, that the Blue Army was able to get hold of the lost Our Lady Icon of Kazan. And it was kept a very, very valuable icon, very endeared to the Russian people, the Russian church. And it had gotten lost. It was a miraculous, like, it was, it was found miraculously years and years ago. I had no idea. And it got lost. And they, the Blue Army was able to, to, to find that icon, to secure it, and they kept it in place, protected in that Byzantine chapel. Yeah, and then eventually they gave it back to the Russian Orthodox Church. That's great. I, I so that's another connection anything. with the uh, uh, that the Eastern churches have, Catholic and Orthodox, with Fatima. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, right now, currently, the the chapel, the Eastern Catholic Chapel at Fatima, mm-hmm. is being used by a Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic community. So oh. it's their like their parish, their their place where they right. worship. You know, even though it's open to all you know pilgrims. Yeah. And it is built over top of the a Latin Rite chapel. Oh. And the idea is that the unity of the churches. I see both long it's not yeah, it's built over top of it, not meaning that it's not superior, it's just that it's mm-hmm. it's just how they did it. You know, right, uh, right. as you walk in the one level, the ground level of of the building, there is the Latin Rite chapel ahead of you. And then you mm-hmm. go up the steps, and then the, the Byzantine chapel is on the, on the next second floor. Oh, that's really cool. So yeah, they put it under one roof, the two churches, oh, the chapels under one roof. It's beautiful to see that you know, yeah. connection there. And so, the, so uh, and also, uh, you know, when, when you know, the, the, the message of messages that came out of Fatima were messages that. It, the, the basic messages are ones that would resonate with Eastern Christians, Eastern Catholics, Orthodox, because 
it's a call to asceticism. Absolutely. You know, this is big in the Eastern churches. A call to holiness. A, uh, and the Eastern churches, of course, have a tremendous devotion to the Mother of God. Oh, we call her Mother of God. That's our you know, title for her. Right. And, you know, when she talks about uh, her Immaculate Heart, if you, if you look at a lot of the, even, even though that may be specifically, the specific wording or um, would be more familiar to the West, mm -hmm. what's really contained in there actually would be familiar to the East, you know, because the East has uh, all kinds of descriptions for the Virgin Mary. In fact, we even have an entire... Uh, uh, service called the Akatha service, which is uh, a service uh, made up of several odes of just of high, beautiful poetry describing every way you can possibly describe the Virgin Mary. You've done that here before, haven't you? Yeah. I, I think I've been here once for that. It was, yes, it, and it's done during the Feast of Annunciation also during, during Lent. That's right. Uh, That's because right. the Feast of Annunciation usually falls sometime during Lent, you know, so it's just kind of a coincidence. But also when we talk about her heart, you know, what we're not talking about a physical, you know, like an organ of the body. We're talking <laughs> about symbolically what that means. What what is, what is in her heart? And what is in her heart is you know humility and integrity and and uh, uh, Christ. You know, so these things would be familiar to the Eastern churches. And there's something. There's just overall something that. The Fatima has a does have a kind of a meeting point of East and West. Yeah. The whole Fatima, also, because in the East, the East will put more stock in revelations that are public. They don't put much stock in private revelations. I mean, I mean, you can believe it. It's it is what it is. But yeah. what they'll acknowledge are revelations in which there is something that the public can see. And that's exactly what happened. With the miracle, yeah. the sun, and all that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's interesting, because yeah, because I, I was always kind of curious how that had, you know, you know how the, the, the different devotions would translate to you know, the Byzantine rites or the Syrian rites or whatever, and now yeah. I, I, I can understand that more clearly. Um, I'm kind of curious how, if there's a difference in the way that, that um, Byzantine, I know there is, but... For the sake of the audience, you know, the difference between how Byzantine Catholics approach Marian devotions and how Roman Catholics do, because one of you know one of her messages was you know pray a rosary each day, but I know that you know that's not uh, native to the Byzantine right. So I'm kind of curious how how you approach the well. The East would make a distinction between public and private devotions. They wouldn't have any problem with anyone saying the rosary. It's fine. There are Eastern people. Actually, the rosary is very popular among Eastern Catholics. <laughs> I notice in the Ukrainian churches, yeah. I see a lot of old Ukrainian yeah, ladies saying it. Yeah. Because it has a very Eastern flavor to it. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it, um, so, so the, they, they wouldn't have, the East would not have any problem with the rosary of people saying and praying it privately. Uh, it's just that it would not be considered in the East as a public devotion, like a liturgical devotion. It's something a person may say privately, and it's you know, probably doesn't mean like in secret, but I mean that, you know, a personal, that's part of their personal prayer. Absolutely. They would have no problem with that. And it does have a Byzantine flavor. And there is actually, from St. Seraphim of Seraph, actually developed a very similar sort of Byzantine rosary. 
It's it's prayers in which uh, they're 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 based upon the and it almost like the very similar to the um, the mysteries in the rosary. Interesting. Yeah, Is there so a title for that or? Um, or I could look uh, you know, I have to look up the exact title. I, I can send that to you. Okay, it's well, uh, it's Saint developed Sarah. by Saint Seraphim of Seraph. Sarah. I have, actually have a book on it. Oh, interesting. I have a book on it. Oh yeah, I'll have to look that up then because yeah, yeah, I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so there is, um, you know, repeated prayer, meditations on mysteries. You know, that's all Eastern in, in flavor. You know, like we have the Jesus prayer, which is, yes. is native to the Eastern spirituality. But it's again, it's a repeated prayer only with with, with Christ. You know, mm -hmm. so the repeated prayer that is meditative and uh, brings us into uh, has you know that sense of mystery to it. Are, is um is, is familiar would be familiar with the east you know so um That's good so the the east is very they're they're i guess you could say they're very um they have strong emphasis on what is public like liturgical prayer liturgical anything beyond the liturgy of the church what the church prays and, and the prayers of the for instance any devotions to the mother of god mm -hmm. the church the eastern churches catholic orthodox would would uh, they would put most you know their primary faith would be in those things which are of the public or liturgical life of the church having the Virgin Mary things beyond that are okay you know you're free to do that you know it's just that they they make that distinction between public and private you know I see. now what's interesting is when we were in Fatima we prayed the we were in Eastern and we breathed both lungs of church. The group was Eastern and Western. Both, yeah. And we did the rosary in the Fatima Chapel. And we did it using both endings of the Ave Maria, you know, the Hail Mary. Oh, nice. There's actually two different endings, just slight differences in the ending. So we did some decades with Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, is with thee, blessed south of mine, when blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now to our death, amen. In the East, it would be pray for us sinners we have given birth to Christ, the Savior and deliverer of our souls. I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be the exact same up till then. Really? And there's that ending that's different. Wow. And we prayed the rosary that way. And I thought that was a very, to me, that was a, a wonderful experience because it was it was a real experience of uni, uni, unity of prayer. You know, Absolutely. That each one doing it in their own way, um, in, in a in a in a devotion like a, the rosary, which has a, an Eastern flavor to it, even though its yeah. origins were per se in the West, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it shows that you know we can do that in the church. You can you, so, you can sort of move between each other's houses, okay? You know, yeah. there are meeting points. You know? <laughs> and I love I love that. I love that. That's why you know I love coming here and you know this series. It, it's it's beautiful to experience the full breadth of yeah. Catholicism. Yeah, you can do that and still be fully who you are. Yeah. You know, you don't have to feel like it's compromised on you all or whatever. One's not better than the other. Right. But we can move between each other in, in a way that's, um, uh, you know, genuine. It's not like being superficial. You know, yeah. it's genuine. I can, yeah, I can pray with the Latins, you know, and uh, appreciate their devotions. And, and, and still I'm a Byzantine, you know. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's so fresh to hear because I, I know there's some very hard-line uh, Byzantine Catholics that seem to like just totally eschew, you know, the rosary and all that and whatnot. Yeah, so the, reason, to hear that. the reason they do is the reason they do is because it's actually it's a it's an overreaction to it's kind of like um, see 
we, we went through some time of when, when, the, when the Eastern churches, when, when those parts of the Orthodox Church reunited with Rome, mm -hmm. which then became the Eastern Catholic churches, there was at the time, and for a time, a challenge of acceptance, of feeling accepted and being accepted. So in order to be accepted, there was some compromise that went on in the Eastern churches. They, they kind of then started to take on the Latin devotions to kind of prove that they were they were Catholic. They were still, they can accept me now. I'm like you, you know. Also, on a kind of a positive, under communism and where the churches were oppressed, sometimes the only access Eastern Catholics had were to Latin devotions, Latin books and Latin devotions, because the East, the, because they they suppressed the Eastern Catholic churches, you know, and, and they took away their books and seminaries, and they didn't they had a, they didn't necessarily have access to their own devotions. Mm -hmm. But they still wanted to have devotion. Right. So the ones they had access to were the Latin Rite devotions. So in one sense, that was you know the, the beauty of the church east and west. There was something they could rat, latch onto, yeah. even though their own was taken from them. I see. I see. So there are a variety of a couple of reasons why the there was this sort of Latin influence, which is not bad in itself. It's just that. You know, you, you don't want to compromise who you are. Just like we right. wouldn't expect the Latin Rite Church to suddenly start acting like Byzantines. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and especially if you forsake, forsook who you were, you know, right. your own devotions. We wouldn't expect that, you know. Yeah, that, that, so anyway, so, so long comes Vatican II. And after Vatican II, a lot of times people ask, well, how, how did Vatican II affect Eastern churches? Well, there's a whole section of Eastern churches, and basically mm -hmm. it affected us by calling us back to our own traditions. Yes. In other words, and so... In that process, there, there's, there was, there's some, yeah, kind of hardline radicalization. You know, <laughs> I've only seen a couple. Yeah, I've only seen a couple. It's like, wow. It's like I know, no, like I know nobody else like that. And it's just great to yeah. hear it from you. Uh, Be because it, it's actually a little insecurity. In other words, it's like you want to get back to who you were. So therefore, yeah. we're not going to do any of that because we're just who we are. You know. <laughs> well, okay, you can understand to an extent, you know, but it's, it's kind of an overreaction. It's like right. a little insecurity. So. The key thing with the churches is that you should be able to be at home and moving, moving in and out of each other's churches, yet, yet being who you are. You know, there's, uh, there's, uh, you, um, you know, because you respect how that other lung prays. You know, yeah, it's, you know, it's my, it's like a, you know, like you go over to a relative's house or something. You you respect how they prepare dinner or decorate their house or whatever. You don't come and say, well, that's not how we do it. That's not right. You wouldn't do that. No, this is how they do it. It's just as legitimate as how you would do it, but it's different, you know. So you go yeah. there and you respect that and you move about their home and spend time with them and their home and their ways yeah. and, you know, without being anybody different than who you are, you know. Right. So it's kind of like that. So the church is like, I kind of call it homes, you know. We can move about in each other's homes you know, freely without anyone... Feeling that they're compromising who they are. You know? I, I love that imagery because a Chaldean Catholic priest put it very similarly to yeah. you when explaining the differences. And, and I, I can see that you know you've brought everything back. You've brought your traditions back. Yet you know you still have you, you still had the uh, Our Lady of Fatima uh, icon up there uh, during the centennial. Did you not? Um, yeah, I believe we up did. There. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that we, was we put the Lady of Guadalupe up there. It's on our calendar. Oh, Lady of Guadalupe. Nice. Uh, oh, that's right. She is. She's on your your liturgical calendar. Yeah, she's yeah. An, it's an icon. Right, right. I totally forgot about that. Made by ordinary hands, made by her hands, you know. Right. Um, and this this will be my final question for you, um, since I know we're low on time. I'm just curious if, like, 
you could say one thing about what is the biggest thing that you think all Catholics should take away from the message of Our Lady of Fatima? What is the biggest single thing that is most important in your mind? The biggest single thing um, I would say is, is, is call to personal holiness. And that would include praying for peace. When I went to Fatima, I did so on a personal note as a pilgrimage of peace. Uh, you know, to pray to peace. I was making an effort for the intention of world peace. And uh, I, I, when I, I do pray the rosary, uh, I'm committed to our Byzantine divine office, as I should be, but I'll, I'll pray the rosary, and I usually pray it for that intention, you know, for world peace. I think that's the basic. There are many messages of Fatima, but I think that was the basic one. It's, it's a call to holiness and prayer for peace. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it, she, she warned about, she, ha, she, she appeared during the World War. Yeah. And she warned about another world war if we did not really uh, turn to holiness and prayer for peace. And sure enough, it happened. Yeah. So th that's what I think is, to me, is the central strength and message of Fatima is this, the call to personal holiness and the prayer for peace. Uh, you know, the, the turn, she, she sums up in turning to her immaculate heart. And, but that's, I interpret that, especially as Easterners, okay, what does that mean, her heart? You know, it's symbolic for who she is. What is she about? She's about holiness and our prayer, you know, holiness and prayer. You know, our, our, our holiness, you know, humility, and turning towards Christ, you know, her son. Just like, see, the Eastern icons always have her pointing towards Christ, you know, leading us to Christ. And that's what she's really doing in Fatima. She's yeah. calling us to turn towards the life that her son has taught us and modeled for us, you know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And let's face it, she is intercessor. He came through her. Mm -hmm. And he he wants, I believe he wants the world to still go back to him through her. Right. I, that's, that's beautiful. I totally agree. Father, thank you so much. Mm -hmm.